0: oh fudge wait
1: a minute, wait a minute. did oh, you just say oh fudge rolling oh pick shucks one. let's go get milkshake uh.
2: Is it going to be all right?
1: hello and welcome to all through a lens
0: This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography.
1: I'm Vanya. And I'm
0: Eric. On today's episode, spring is in the air. We're walking around our neighborhoods like we're Fred fucking Herzog. We're cleaning out springs like it's spring cleaning time. And we're finding zines that we should have reviewed months ago. We're doing... A whole lot of things okay uh we're also giving a call to one jenna obscura but first for all of that vanya how the hell are you doing
1: i want to surf i cannot surf i can't walk on the sand uh True. i could drive by the beach and that's about it uh and that's a bummer but yeah. there are so many other things uh that are much more important right now and uh i'm just trying to remind myself that uh, This is a temporary thing, and it will eventually get better. Well, have you been shooting anything? Well, I have been shooting a little bit. I did get a new little uh, waterproof camera. Okay. A Canon AS6. Okay. Basically a fixed 35 millimeter. You can stick it underwater... And I put some film in there and tested it on land. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So it
0: works on land, at least, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's exciting. It's kind of of like getting things ready and preparing (laughs) myself for when I can shoot what I want. I think that's like the one thing that I've been struggling with is being creative and make original work, even though... My original work is is like in the water, you know? So finding a way to like invent new ways of shooting just around my neighborhood, it's kind of been a struggle, but that's okay. Okay. How about you?
0: Oh God, in the past couple of weeks since our last episode, I really haven't taken any photos at all. Um, I'm kind of tired of my, na- well, I'm kind of tired of shooting my neighborhood. I'm-
1: I think we're all <laughs> I'm tired <I> <laughs> of shooting our neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, we
0: probably are. I've been doing a lot of walks. I've been doing like seven, eight miles at a time. And I had been taking a camera with me and now I just don't even bother. I don't even bother, though. I do have a new couple of duck friends that I made. <gasps>
1: Uh, Is this Duxedo?
0: This is not Duxedo. No, this is uh, a a distant cousin of Duxedo. He's a mallard and his girlfriend is hot. Uh, Well, no, I guess she would be a mallard, but she's a a girl mallard.
1: This seems like very (laughs) controversial. This is maybe a more bigger drama and kind of awesome. (laughs) I want to know more about this, please. (laughs) Please
0: Today on Ducks of Our Lives. (laughs) So I hope to get some portraits of them.
1: Oh, you totally should.
0: I, w- I will do my
1: best. I don't know if er- Eric has ever mentioned this before, but he feeds the crows. I do. And they come mm-hmm. and squawk outside his house until he like goes out and feeds them. So is this going to be like another?
0: <laughs> I don't think so. The crows have me completely under their crow control. Crows are very, very intentional. They know what they're doing. Ducks just kind of walk around, just... Talking to themselves. <laughs> That's all they do. That's all they
1: do. They're kind of I think ducks are a little crazy. So I'm kind of more of the duck and you're kind of more of the crow. <laughs> I guess if we had to place
0: uh, uh ourselves as birds, maybe, but I don't know if you're a duck.
1: Maybe a hummingbird.
0: Don't really know.
1: A dodo bird. Uh, no, come on.
0: <laughs> but apart from all of that, I just finished up my part of a new zine that we're doing, and I handed it off to you.
1: <laughs> he, he's given me the task to compile the images and spreads together to make a cohesive zine, which I would say is kind of nerve-wracking for me, because I, I want it to work right. I want it to, people to open it up and be interested all the way through and not get bored so ideally yes i mean this one is busy yeah, it's very busy. It sure is
0: a busy zine.
1: I haven't posted any of those images.
0: No, it's So true. they
1: will all be, it's all new work.
0: Each of us have about 30 images that people haven't seen before in the zine. So there's over 60-ish images in the zine that have never been published or posted online or anything like that.
1: All taken with a Mamiya RB67. That's true. That should be coming out,
0: let's just say, say <laughs> soon-ish. And another thing coming out soon-ish is a new-to-us <laughs> emulsion it's uh another soviet era emulsion it's not the slow meow or the slow meow too. it is called the fuzzy burrito it Aww. is um i'm not really sure what it is that like, the original intention of the film was but it is a svima film
1: it's not yellow it's white
0: it is white. The the actual film stock is white. If you've bopped around FPP in the past several years, they've mentioned this, they've talked about it, and they've sold their version of it. Uh, we have our own, as just as rebranded as theirs is. It's just a, a different batch, so it's going to have a different ISO, potentially. We're still kind of in the testing phases. Probably going to be around 12, maybe 6 ISO. It's going to be another slow film, but it's fuzzy. I think you'll <laughs> enjoy it. And, you know, all we want is a Pepsi. Yeah. (sighs) So speaking of Pepsi, why don't we check the answering machine?
1: Okay, so for the question this time, we kind of decided to try something a little bit different. We asked everybody to send us your good film photography news. So let's see what we got. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone.
0: Hi, guys. Bill 2 here. Long time listener, first time talker. My good news is that I've made the decision to go large, go big after staying home. So I'm going large format.
1: Ooh. That is very, very exciting. I follow Bill too for quite some time. His images are just absolutely amazing. I think he is going to absolutely kill it with large format. So congratulations. I'm glad you've uh, decided to make the switch. Yeah. Going big
0: after staying home. I love it. One of the most supportive guys in like all of photography right now. I can't wait to see what he does. I love his work. And he has has such a great eye that, I don't know, I guess he's one of those people that you're just kind of like, oh, he, he doesn't do large format yet? That's so strange. And, but he's, he's doing it now. And I'm really, really excited to see what comes of it.
1: Yeah, hi there. Uh, my name is Alan. It's Alan being Alan on
0: Instagram. Um calling to uh, leave two bits of good news for you guys. Uh, the first one is that uh, I finally got to see the Stephen Arnold documentary, which was amazing. So anyone who has not seen it or is not familiar with his work.
1: I suggest you
0: correct that. And the second one is that I got three rolls of film processed by uh, Josh over at Freestyle Photo here in L.A. Um, He is processing
1: film out of his apartment at a very reasonable rate. So I got three rolls back that I shot over the past few weeks, and that's been great. And um, I got more film in the camera ready to go.
0: All right. Thanks so much. Keep up the good work, guys.
1: I have not seen the doc, but I know that he was... Dolly's protege, right? I
0: think so. Have, have you have you seen any of his work, his Stephen yeah. Arnold fellow?
1: Yeah. Well, he does everything. I mean, he does photography. He does mm-hmm. like assemblage. He does multiple things, which is amazing. Yeah. So he's just an all around very creative person. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I will correct that, as he put it.
0: Hi, this is uh, Ben uh, BB Analog on Instagram. During these tough times, I've discovered the world of 110 film and I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, firstly, the Rollet E10 is absolutely tiny. If you thought the uh, Olympus Mu2 was compact, then try this. It's ideal for taking out during the few activities that are still authorized during lockdown. Uh, secondly, it's got a really sharp lens, much more than I expected. And thirdly, the, the Lomography Tiger CN110 that I've been feeding it is fantastic. It prints really well with the enlarger, which is great now that I've got, that I've got plenty
1: of time to print. I really like it when people say that they feed their cameras film. <laughs> it's so adorable. <laughs> I need to go on a 110 diet. <laughs> uh, has, I really have do. You,
0: you've shot 110 film before, right?
1: That could have possibly been the first film I shot because my mom had a 110. Yeah. But no, my mom gave me all her negatives, her 110 negatives, and I've been kind of scanning those on occasion, mm-hmm. and it's made me uh, not want to. <laughs> but the way that he said it, you know, it's it's compact. I think I really like the idea. It's so funny, because I really love large format, too. But mm-hmm. I really like the idea of tiny little cameras that can fit in pockets. Like I gave you my Rolly 35B, and yeah. I love that thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a great little camera.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's a great idea. Something compact where you don't have to lug around like for instance on your walks you could be taking ducks of our lives pictures if you had a super tiny little camera that didn't bother you when you were walking around
0: and they would never see me come in (laughs) i'd hide behind the bushes and jump out and click my little 110 camera and jump back and they would never even stop doing whatever ducks waddling they would never stop waddling
2: hi this is julian aka at julian Watley the fourth my good news is that The environment is getting a wonderful break from pollution. And I live in L.A. I've never seen the sky such an intense and deep color of blue as it has been lately. For those of you living on planet Earth, take a minute and take a deep breath and enjoy how clean the air is. Because it's as clean as it's been. Maybe in decades.
1: So I live in LA too. And yeah, it's incredible right now. I mean, I've messaged you a few times like, oh my gosh, it's so clear. And like, I get it. <laughs> so there's other places that it's clear all the time. But I can see everything from just standing like right out front of my house. I can I can see Malibu. I can see the Santa Monica Mountains. I can see downtown Los Angeles. I can see... Hollywood, everything, just from where I'm standing. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it makes me like realize like, man, it would be so cool if we had like, you know, better like train system and you know, other ways to but, you know, it's LA, so everybody has to have like four cars.
0: I mean, since all of this has been happening in, in Seattle, I've been able to see all the various arrays of grays. <laughs>
1: Hey all through the lens I'm Mike Rotella here in uh, Virginia in the US uh, gotta tell you uh, shot my first few images using the uh, the Shanghai uh, 4x5 film on black and white 100 speed and I'm uh, pretty happy with it and you can get it off the internet for less than thirty dollars for 100 sheets uh, no 25 sheets forgive me uh, but the Shanghai film uh, looks real great. And I'm excited. I'm going to do that this weekend and put some of my crown graphic. And you can see the images on my Instagram account. Thanks.
0: I have shot quite a bit of Shanghai. And for the most part, I've had good luck with the stuff branded as Shanghai. I I really liked it it is a great deal too yeah it's a pretty good deal i think arista is about the same price and that's and that's from a pan so uh sometimes shanghai does have some quality issues i know it's being produced now but i'm not sure it's being labeled as shanghai anymore
1: yeah i have arista 100 in my fridge right now but i oh and you gave me some cat lab so i guess i do have shanghai kind of
0: kind of uh the stuff branded shanghai is much better Hey, y'all, it's Nick, Gravity Train on Instagram.
2: And my bit of photographic good news is that I just managed to get a few pretty decent color images off a 65-year-old roll of film, thanks in no small part, I suspect, to Eric's ECN2 chemistry. So thanks. They're proven to be some pretty special shots.
1: Oh, that's so great. Do you know what, what emulsion that was?
0: Probably some kind of coat of color X or something, but I'm not sure what it oh, is offhand.
1: Cool. That's so interesting. It is. How fun. And so I think
0: what he did was a cold stand in ECN2, I think. I'm not 100% sure on that. He's not hiding the special formula or anything like that. I think it's my memory. I think he's possibly doing C41 stand and using my bleach. Or he's actually doing the full ECN2 stand and also using my bleach. I don't remember what he's doing.
1: I'm like so interested now. I guess we didn't really mention that like in dev Party, like, you know, you could possibly have some super old film that you would like to develop, but it's maybe a little delicate.
0: Yeah, for C-22, it needs to be cold, like room temperature. I've made that mistake accidentally developing some C-22 and C-41 at 102 degrees Fahrenheit, and all of the emulsion (laughs) melted off. I lifted up the lid, like, oh my god, what happened? Like, oh, that's what C twenty two is. So with yeah, if you have any kind of C twenty two, you do need to develop it cold. And a lot of people do it as a black and white, and that seems to work well enough, but uh you can milk some color out of it. So follow at gravity underscore train. And he does have some images up and uh it's pretty cool. And I'm glad I could play some small role in that too. That makes me yeah. that makes me pretty happy. <laughs> So I guess we should probably give our answers to Vanya or answers. Do you have any good news for us, Vanya? Uh
1: yeah. I I um I did that art show. I ended up selling uh, two prints. Cool. So I spent last weekend cutting mat for the first time in like three or four years. <laughs> so that was a little, you know, I need a little bit more practice. I probably should have it out and cut mat more often because you just forget when you haven't done it for a very long time. Yeah. But it was great. And, you know, doing all that by yourself, it just gives me some satisfaction. Like, okay, so this is my print and I'm cutting mat for you and it just makes it a little extra special, Aww. I guess. I uh, really enjoyed seeing like my image all put in the mat too. It's like, oh, look it. It's like <laughs> not on the internet. That's nice. <laughs> I'm also kind of guilty on getting a new camera as well. Yeah. And that's coming in. And I'm super excited about it. It's German. And it's from the 30s. Ooh. And it might fold up. Wow. Yeah. So I'm excited. Well, I'll, I'll tell you more when I get it. <laughs> cool. This
0: is like the, the <laughs> Annie Ondra of cameras. Uh, German 1930s and folds up pretty
1: easily. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, I was answer. you have some good news, Eric. We would like to hear it.
0: Well, um,
1: I don't have like, you know, I'm not
0: like, I don't have like a ton of good news. I don't have anything horrible bad news. Um, I'm still, uh, well, I guess um, the last episode I talked a little bit about Juniper and I'm still kind of reveling in the idea that I was able to photograph her at the end. And that was uh, kind of really cool. So, I mean, my, my good news, I don't think I would have called it good news, you know, two weeks ago, but I do see it as good news now. And um, I did get a a very... What I believe is a very uh, nice shot on on four by five with a Graflex of, of her. Uh, I've posted it around a little bit. It was actually the the photo that I used for the death notice on Instagram because that's something you do for cats on Instagram. <laughs> uh, a, a little a little bird told me that it will be printed. Just kind of cool.
1: Tweet tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Since many of us have only been getting out of the house for walks, we thought it would be a fine time to take a look at a photographer who was mostly known for just that. Fred Herzog from Vancouver, British Columbia, would take nearly the same route through the city every day. Through much of the 1950s and 60s,
0: Herzog tramped the streets after work and on weekends with a Kodak Retina on his hip. He had been given a large format plate camera when he was a kid, but tossed it for the small 35 millimeter.
1: The body of work he produced is extraordinary. At this point in photographic history, color seen as sort of cheap and gimmicky, fine art photographers as well as street photographers use black and white almost exclusively. Despite the tradition, Herzog fell in love with color and not just any color, but the uncanny, vivid tones of Kodak's Kodachrome.
0: Mm, I have to wonder if living in Vancouver was responsible for that. So, like, Seattle, Vancouver is overcast and pissing rain most of the year. And Herzog's photos show this, but they also show the vibrant colors amidst the bleak, though somehow still vibrant, browns and grays. That's Kodachrome for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, there's a photo, Boys on Shed, from 1962. Mm-hmm. Uh, he captures the scene. It's basically like a half dozen kids on top of an old backyard garage. But in the center frame is one kid in an orange shirt. And that splash of color just kind of like makes the photo. It does I grew up around buildings like this. This looks very much
0: like my town in the late 70s, early 80s. And honestly, I'm kind of jealous of the boys on the roof. I always wanted to be one of the kids on the roof, but I was the geeky kid in the orange. No,
1: was that wasn't allowed yeah. on the roof.
0: I, was, I, I know if I'd get up there, my mom could see me if I was up there
1: oh you would be, in
0: I would be in trouble yeah yeah but i mean again this photo you can tell it's spring you got you got uh, nice flowers on the trees but it's all overcast the sky is a tiny you know, little bit a sh- little bit of the shades of gray here and there a little bit of variation but it's all just white and gray and you'd think that the picture would be dim as well because if you've ever taken a color photo and overcast it looks kind of shitty but (laughs) man this just shows you what what we've lost when we lost kodachrome
1: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) if you guys want to follow along we will have these photos in the show notes so if you want to look at them you can um another great photo is the elysium cleaners it's a 25 foot tall red cigarette billboard that orange just pops, you know, the gray <laughs> yeah. building is just so boring. And then boom, cigarettes. Yeah.
0: So Herzog's often compared to Walker Evans. He was a depression era photographer who was known for the signs that he took pictures of. So basically, anyone who photographs signs is compared to Walker Evans, just how it works is an easy go to. I mentioned this only to say that you probably should avoid that comparison. Uh, Herzog was, was absolutely influenced by Evans. But I really think his work is different enough that you need to take it on its own. This was a world that Herzog knew, the stuff that he photographed. He wasn't like like me, running off to strange towns to steal slices of their lives. He was part of this community in Vancouver, and yet he was there and concealed enough to grab a few shots without people noticing too much
1: but he certainly enjoyed his signs his photo Paris cafe from 1959 features a man looking out the cafe window he's framed by Christmas decoration and menus of this Herzog later said the man in that picture looks somewhat disengaged but I like the Santa Clauses <laughs> and I like the price food list which is great because it dates it too you know they're the little tiny things like that I would probably take out of my photos like oh there's like a price list that's kind like maybe not beautiful looking at the time but really it just like it dates it you know you could tell like okay ugh, these prices are not this anymore
0: <laughs> this is great it's a, it's a picture that he looked at it and he, he realized probably quickly that it's not something you could center the Paris cafe no. is all the way on the left the Christmas tree mm-hmm. is is a little too far to the right the guy a little too far to the left but if you look a little closer in the reflection Frank Herzog is centered <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> Normally when you would take a picture, like you'd try to get your reflection out of it. I've taken pictures in windows before and you try, you try your damnedest to get out of that photo. And so another thing he said about this photo is uh, the whole atmosphere is somewhat in contradiction with the high flying name Paris Café. And I like that kind of inherent contradiction in many of my pictures. Every picture I've sometimes said has a curveball in it. They're not just pictures of pretty scenes, they're pictures that have a curveball in them, which makes you think.
1: We should definitely take this advice when we venture out of our houses. Like I said earlier, I was having a hard time finding original work. You walk the same path every single day and what changes besides like weather and things like that
0: he seemed to have been captured by certain scenes and you know, i mean we're looking at a guy who spent decades uh walking these streets and we're seeing it right now we're looking at four photos out of those decades True. so he he probably yes. missed a lot of shots he probably took a lot of shots that we're never ever going to see but you know that's it's the that's the wonderful thing about being able to look back through an entire life worth of work and picking out what you want to pick out <laughs>
1: So yeah, find that disengaged guy surrounded by Santa Clauses and find that kid in an orange t-shirt.
0: I think you're speaking metaphorically, but I do agree. And so another shot that I want to look at, he entitled Hal and Nelson. He photographed it in 1960. And what it is, is a it's a row of shops painted in bright colors in front of a city of brown and beige with a gray skyscraper rising out of frame onto or into a kind of an overcast sky and again this is a picture that wouldn't work really at all without the strange colored shops right in the in the left foreground it's it's kind of a boring picture otherwise the four stores that are represented here uh rose and genovese is a cafe of some kind there's a bookstore there's a beauty salon and a radio repair shop nice but the, the photo shows like three different eras of what's going on here. You've got the older shops and the old houses. And then on the, in the left, you've got a, a newer-ish building. And then on the right, you've got the skyscraper rising up out of the untreated wood two-story houses. Like, it must be a scene that he's walked by so many times. I mean, because at this point, but to say anything more, I'm writing Frank Herzog fan fiction. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> I can imagine walking by this scene like a bunch of times going, I, I want to shoot this. I want to figure this out. And him finally figuring it out. And I don't know, maybe that never happened. Maybe he saw it once, took a picture, but never thought of it again. It has a feel of like, okay, fine, this will be it.
1: Well, I like the way that he framed it too, because I think that it wouldn't have worked if this giant, ugly, gray skyscraper wasn't on the far right of the image. Like it almost balances it out.
0: Because the colored cafe buildings and all of that they're very heavy on left yeah they're Mm -hmm. just like
1: so vivid and hand painted you know like someone someone hand painted all those signs and then you see like this god-awful, like, brand new
0: building. I'm sorry. I just It's an ugly, and I don't want to say phallic symbol.
1: But it is, absolutely. Yeah. There was just, like, a little bit more character in these shops. And he, you know, they're probably not there anymore. So his photographs went unnoticed until around 2007. So if you really think about it, when he started taking pictures, that was... Almost 50 years. Yeah. Some of it, though, it wasn't necessarily on accident. He did get his first show in 2007. And since he shot on Kodachrome, he just never really seemed happy with the printing methods for his work. So when digital printing was a little bit more available, I think it was able to capture the feel that he was looking for as far as like his images that he shot with Kodachrome. Yeah, they were
0: using offset printing, I think, before then. And I guess it just didn't, it didn't, uh, or maybe it was lithography, but whatever they were doing, it couldn't capture the Kodachrome look and digital printing could so
1: it's just so brilliant <laughs> like ima- I-, I mean even the browns like the guys looking through the window and they're just like in their coats and their hats and they're grays and browns, and it's just so vivid, so gorgeous. It's,
0: it's, and it's in a way that, that most films can't touch at this point.
1: Yeah, just rich.
0: So there are a couple of books that have been released in somewhat recent years of his work, and most are out of print and have the prices to match, talking like literally hundreds of dollars. But a good place to start, and I, if I were you, I wouldn't sleep on this, is a book called Modern Color. It's a 320-page chunk of inspiration. It goes for around 35 bucks, maybe 45 bucks, depending. and honestly, definitely worth it. Mine's on its way here.
1: Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Are you going to let me borrow it?
0: (laughs) I will absolutely let you borrow it.
1: So as far as inspiration goes, Herzog captures a scene that definitely no longer exists with a medium that is long gone, unfortunately. Certain film and developer combinations come close, but nothing touches Kodachrome.
0: No, we were just talking about Fuji Color in ECN2 Chemicals. Yeah. And I think it's it's not a Kodachrome look. It can never be mistaken for Kodachrome. But I think it gives it a unique sort of like if Kodachrome was like on a lot of caffeine.
1: I was gonna say that. How funny! <laughs> like
0: <laughs> it's like very hyper Kodachrome.
1: Yeah, they're just so saturated. Yeah, there's
0: a lot of saturation. Sometimes I have to tamp it down a little bit. So we want you to be inspired by photographers, and in this case, Fred Herzog. But inspiration isn't about copying. Herzog was inspired by Walker Evans, but He wasn't just Walker Evans in color. He was Fred Herzog. And you're not Fred Herzog. You're not Vivian Mayer. You're not William Eggleston, Stephen Shore, or even Evelyn Cameron, as much as my heart breaks that I'm not Evelyn Cameron. You are you. And as you walk the streets and roads during our plague days, you can take these inspirations with you, but maybe drop them off somewhere along the way. Because when it comes to solo shooting, ultimately you're on your own. It's you It's your camera, and it's your world changing around you.
1: Wow. (laughs) I want to cry. Like Fred Herzog, the photographer we're calling up this episode captures the world around her as she commutes to and from work each day.
2: Uh, I know so many changes, but not here. You can count on us for music to
0: keep you up to date. For Hello. Hold on. Today's hits and yesterday's favorites. Hello? Hello. Hey.
2: Hi. <laughs> okay. This
0: is Jenna Obscura. She grew up in Honolulu and now lives in Seattle. She shoots a ridiculous array of cameras and is mostly known for her instant pinhole work. She's also Bok Choi's biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> So how are you holding up through all of this?
2: Honestly, the first couple of weeks were the roughest because everything was happening here. Things were changing constantly. And I think the worst of it was that I was actually paying attention to news conferences at that point. Oh, my. Well, I, I know. I know that was fucking crazy of me. But <laughs> I didn't know what the hell was going on no. of uh, this country that are scared right now. You shouldn't turn it around and say you're a terrible person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> <laughs> I was
2: just like, oh my god i'm just looking for some kind of leadership here <laughs> you know? or some kind of you know i i'm you know i i'm taking this seriously i'm looking at uh, the research and i'm working with my you know um the different people who are around me to consult me on this but no it became this ridiculous conference and i, I think after that i just said i'm not watching these anymore i can't uh i can't try to watch that <laughs>
1: For The Answer Machine this week, we asked listeners for their good film photography news. Uh, Do you have any good film photography news you want to share?
2: Quite honestly, I haven't been productive at all. I mean, the, the last month of everything happening, I just, I wasn't shooting anything. I wasn't really doing anything. My cameras are just sort of sitting here. Hmm. Mm -hmm. i guess well i guess maybe the good part of that is that i got inspired by a couple of my friends who were just going out and just making themselves a go for a walk b start picking up their camera and doing things you know for themselves just to sort of restore a little bit of that normalcy and that kind of triggered me to go you know what i do have this camera i should probably go out and take pictures there's going to be just heads up there's going to be a lot of pictures of my dog (laughs)
0: Um, Okay, you you tend to shoot or at least share your photos in blocks. Um, I remember last year you did a whole series of laundromats. You've also been recently shooting a lot of Lomo Purple. Uh, With all that in mind, do you feel that your photos or like a selection of your photos tell like a a larger story?
2: Yeah, um, I don't know if they really tell a larger story. I think that requires maybe a little bit more forethought. Uh, I think if anything, they tell where i've been or what i've seen and i didn't expect the laundromats to kind of be as popular as they they seem to be oh i love uh but the laundromats were just something i i'd gone to san francisco a couple of years ago uh when i was in between jobs and i went to go and visit some friends i had made on a pinhole day event i was walking around on knob hill And I was realizing that you could just see laundromats out on the street everywhere you go. And that's so weird because in Seattle, everyone here has their washer and dryer in unit. Or if not in unit, it's in their basement. Or if it's not in their basement, there's some strip mall somewhere or some little sort of corner alcove near like Chinatown that might have like a King Super laundromat or something. It's it's usually tucked away. It's not out there right on the street what you walk by every day. Right. So the laundromats in San Francisco, because these are such old buildings, a lot of them don't have a washer and dryer. There's a reliance on the corner laundromat, just like there's a reliance on the corner, you know, deli. I was walking around at night, just one of those nights where I was just starving and trying to see what was around me. And all of these lit up windows were laundromats and people were doing their laundry. I don't know, there was just something about it that I thought was super cool. And I walked into this one called Mob Hill Laundry. And it's right where the the trolley cars go Mm -hmm. by. And it was like these like bright poppy sort of like yellow chairs and red chairs and a soap dispenser and it was like walking into like a time capsule (laughs) oh
0: yeah
2: i don't know it was it was just something completely random and i kind of got a little obsessed with it so now it's like whenever i'm going back to san francisco i first do a google Maps search of laundromats and then i click through (laughs) to the images and then i look for a density of laundromats and that determines where i want to stay the next time i go
1: that's good planning i like it Yeah, it's just really neat how it just began with just something really small. And now it's it, you're you literally plan trips like, OK, I'm going to stay in this area next time so I can continue photographing them. So um, also you shoot a lot of Polaroid and instant film. Do you prefer it r- over regular film or is it just whatever you decide on the day?
2: <laughs> I've usually been more of a medium format shooter. Uh, a lot of that largely is because I was playing a lot with Holgas. And then especially because I was doing a lot of pinhole photography, I tended to be a 120 film shooter. So 7, 11, 14 frames somewhere in that range was usually what I was comfortable with. 35 millimeter has taken me a little while to get used to because 36 frames is exhausting. Yeah, it is <laughs> Just to finish one roll, and then you have all these crazy people with their half frame cameras, and I'm thinking you're bonkers. How do you even finish? This? <laughs> like, like, whoa. <laughs> like, Yeah. So I think like, especially right now, like trying to finish a whole role is just overwhelming. So like, especially right now, I'm shooting a lot more instant because it's easier to just commit to making like one image, right? Like, I'm just going to go out, I'm going to bring my camera with me and I'll just take a picture of something. It might be totally stupid. Um, It might be something interesting. I don't know, but I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to make a picture.
0: So uh, do you shoot, Pretty much every day, at least a little something pretty much every day.
2: I, I mean, I, I honestly shoot a lot with my iPhone, just dumb everyday things. I guess maybe that is kind of a, a daily exercise for me. And so sometimes I would take a picture with my phone and I would go, oh, this would be so much better on film. So I would take a picture on my phone just for the immediate share. But then I would also just like pull out my contacts and then I would miss my bus. <laughs> I would them, you know, 15 minutes of going oh this angle is greater oh i don't know it's not wide enough got to step out into the street uh,
0: <laughs> so would there be like a go-to film that you would use for that for like your daily like in the contacts for example
2: um i love the combination of my contacts it's a t3 mm-hmm. with the kodak t3200 oh
0: wow okay
2: it's grainy yeah but i don't know i like
1: it, it it's fine Hmm. Okay, Uh, so we actually just did a small piece on a photographer that walked around Vancouver. I was wondering, so you aren't commuting anymore, but do you keep a consistent route when you're walking around? You did say that you really liked specific things. Do you check back with those places? Or do you switch it up a bit?
2: Yeah, especially when I was commuting, I, I think especially with Pike Place Market. And so it was kind of my daily exercise where I would go out there during lunch. I would go there after work, usually with my contacts in P3200, whatever my combination is, that's, that's usually where I go. And I'll just keep going back there, like constantly. The light is changing. The viaduct is going down. It's interesting to watch the, the market close up. Right. You've got all the fish um, mongers who are cleaning and, and brushing and brimming um, and there's steam and smoke kind of coming out. And then I was also playing around with a lot of like cinestill for a little while. So with that, I was enjoying more of like the night hawks and neon lights and things like that. Also, there's a lot of strip clubs down around that area. So <laughs> those, uh- <laughs> Neon signs are fun, I'm
0: sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> So when you're, when you're out shooting, uh, what really catches your eye generally? Is it like a color? Is it a subject? Anything specific?
2: I think definitely I tend to think more in terms of color. Okay. So color will absolutely catch my eye. The pink of, you know, the cherry blossoms, the yellows and golds and purples during like the fall time. The fall season is just my favorite. I love orange everything. Orange food, orange outfits. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of what will catch my eye if I'm if I'm going to be going out to take pictures is probably going to be determined by like my camera and its capabilities. So okay. I'm going to be looking for things very differently if I'm out with my macro lens. I'm going to be looking at things very differently, especially if I'm carrying like my pinhole camera. Right, with my pinhole camera, I'm going to look to see is there a place where things are going to be in motion but also um, remain static. Like that's something I'm always looking for. Uh, so I think what catches my eye really depends on what my camera is. Am I shooting instant? Uh, if so, don't shoot outside in the sun. Am I shooting pinhole? Well, then let's look for maybe water or places where there's movement and stillness. If I'm shooting with my contacts, it can be you know more public and
1: street. So room around town is you might be starting a zine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Tell us a little bit about it, if you would like.
2: Oh my gosh! Uh, at some point, I think I would like to try and make a zine, but to be honest, like the whole making of it seems a little overwhelming. Yeah, you know, there's so many people who are out there, and some of them, like uh, was it Nate Mattis from Portland, put together these Seraph and Silver, I think they were called, and they were amazing, wonderful quarterly publications Mm -hmm. and that looked they were beautiful but they looked exhausting Yeah. (laughs) and then there are the people who still do it with like you know a5 paper folding it in half and using sticky paper uh, and sticky notes and and tape and things and that's totally punk and I loved it yeah Um, but I don't know if that's quite my aesthetic either I don't know I just need to get my act together I have so much time (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really just need to I just really need to get it together gosh (laughs) But I, I, I think it's just because people have been asking me for some way of just sort of looking at my laundromat series as a whole instead mm. of just having to weed through the various things that I throw. Because my Instagram feed is not curated. I just kind of go, ah, here's stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's kind of why people are, were asking me for it. And that's really awesome. It's, it means it's like resonating.
1: That's great. I just honestly need to get my act together and we'll do that. Ooh, we're down to our last question.
0: Yeah. So this is the question that we'll be asking listeners to call in about on the answering machine. Mm. Tell us about your first film camera.
2: Let's see. Well, hmm. when I was a kid, I had some kind of a Fuji film camera. I don't remember what model it was. It's definitely not one of the ones that is being picked up or shown on Instagram feeds. It's, it's, it wasn't a hipster cool thing. It was just some kind of a film camera that I used and then I took the film and we'd go to the Long's drugstore and have it developed and, you know, make prints of it there. I guess what I would consider my first real film camera where I actually cared about the images I was producing with it uh, would probably be a Nikon FG mm. and that was given to me by my aunt uh, What 10, 12 years ago, something like that. I had been playing around with a digital camera for a little bit. And then because I was beginning to play with digital cameras, I started to sort of merge into this. Uh, then my aunt, who was super cool, uh, had this old Nikon FG from like back in her day, realized that I was getting into photography, paid money to get it cleaned up, you know, CLR, all of that. Uh, and then gave it to me for Christmas. And then I kind of took off from from that point it was just your standard 50 millimeter lens i think my first role in it was from a bartels with like kodak gold or one of those weird fuji films that's from uh from walgreens yeah <laughs> and then i just kind of went around with that and was like that that pretty much shot me out so i guess my first film camera that i liked and that i was conscious of using is probably that fg
1: nice Aww, nice. that's amazing thanks aunt yeah. <laughs> I know, right? No, thank you so much for coming and talking to us.
2: <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. It was, it was a real honor to uh, be invited. Thank you.
1: Oh,
0: thank you so much for coming on.
2: All right. Have a good night. Stay warm. Are oh, you too.
0: <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Bye.
1: It's technically spring, and usually that means cleaning up the cobwebs, tossing and donating things you don't use anymore, and giving your home a good, solid, deep clean, and maybe sanitizing in more recent times.
0: We thought that it would be fun to talk about this whole spring cleaning jazz and how it pertains to photography. We're talking not just cleaning, but exercising your cameras. We'll also talk about storing your gear and maybe talk you into getting rid of some stuff you no longer use. Oh, and we'll probably ramble on a bit about film.
1: So let's start with camera cleaning. For the most part, film cameras are anywhere from 20 to 150 years old. Most, at some point, have been sitting in storage, like your grandparents' closet, for years untouched. If you are like me, you probably have found yourself in an eBay hole looking at all sorts of cameras to adopt. And maybe over the winter, you've even taken in a few. So,
0: Vanya, how do you, um, how do you clean your cameras? How do you, what, do you, what do you do?
1: Really, I'd use rubbing alcohol for the most part on the outside.
0: Q-tips. And that doesn't fuck with the paint or anything?
1: No. Okay. No. Uh, Disinfectant wipes are good, too. Okay. Those seem to wipe pretty clean. I guess I really just start with when I get a camera, obviously, like, checking if the shutter is working properly and then... Kind of just like, you know how they get a little greasy? Like just kind cameras? of like cleaning it off and like cleaning out the lens. Cameras get greasy? Yeah, like they have that like dust and like humidity on them and they get okay. kind of gross and sticky. I could see that. Yeah,
0: I don't I don't really have a lot of experience <laughs> with gross, sticky cameras. I'm not sure where you're getting your cameras from. <laughs> you want to look into other sources. Yes.
1: Uh, so basically just like a basic clean, honestly. Q-tips, rubbing alcohol, microfiber cloths. You can use a little bit of like oil, like coconut oil or something, on like the leatherette.
0: Okay, um, to you know
1: make it pretty and shiny. But mm-hmm. I usually steer away from that. And then obviously, I have a different method when it comes to water cameras. But I'll probably talk about that in a little bit. I can't. I can't wait to hear about your water cameras again. Oh, the little hurricane blower thing I have is my favorite thing. Uh, you absolutely hate it because when we're <laughs> recording, I have it in my hand and I'm squeezing it all the time like you a stress are. ball. But that's really good to like clean the inside as well. I mean, I'm not a professional cleaner. (laughs) My office, obviously, if you could see it, you would (laughs) agree. You know, I do know some basics. I have some basic things that I uh, look for. Okay. How
0: about you? I don't, for the most (laughs) part, I don't clean my cameras all that much. When I'm asking you what you do and how you do it, it it is truly a a question I have. I don't, uh, you know, I wanna say like, well, when I'm dusting, I'll dust the cameras as well. But, you know, I don't do a lot of that either. Uh, if I see a camera is like really dusty, I'll dust it off i'll get like a damp cloth and just lovingly wipe it off a little bit i mean honestly if i see a camera's dusty i'll look at it and i'll say hey (laughs) camera's dusty and kind of go on with the rest of my day
1: you don't go oh camera's dusty maybe i should wipe it off and use it i
0: mean it depends (laughs) on the camera i mean some cameras i use so much that they don't get dusty and that's kind of you know where i'm at where if i'm if if a camera gets dusty
1: it's probably from the dust of the open road
0: (laughs) no that's a whole different kind of dust and yeah in that case i do clean my cameras but we'll get to that in a future episode of of how to take care of your shit while you're traveling. But with this, this is not traveling. This is the opposite of traveling.
1: The cleaning, I basically do when I first acquire it. And then if it's sitting for a very long time, then I might end up just like doing a little overhaul on it. Okay. So if a camera is sitting,
0: you don't just need to dust it off in between cleanings or you know, instead of
1: cleanings, maybe?
0: Or at the same time that you're cleaning it, uh, it's probably a good idea to exercise your cameras.
1: Yes. Yeah, so if they're not in heavy rotation, basically. Yeah. Yeah, this is something actually I do with the water cameras. After I use them, they've been in salt water and salt water corrodes things and kills cameras. So I usually soak them in water for about like 20 minutes, kind of like a lukewarm or room temperature water. Okay. So I submerge it like in, you know, one of my pitchers that I use like for development. And then I submerge my hands and kind of like move all the dials yeah. and lens uh, just so I get all the little bits of pieces of sand because literally sand gets everywhere.
0: Sure, I've been doing the same method with the house of blood that you lended me.
1: Oh <laughs> you submerge it in water It's gonna be fine
0: <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> Also, it. I owe you a house of blood. So no, we don't uh, obviously recommend that you bathe your Hasselblads or any non-waterproof camera in water, but the whole moving the dials and the knobs or taking off the lens and clicking the shutter at all the speeds, to, you know, that helps things stay lubricated and, and working. Same thing goes for the lenses, you know, run them through the aperture settings and, and just kind of make sure everything's working when you're not using it.
1: I would recommend doing this every three or four months, even if they're sitting in bags. Um, also things to remember is leaving your shutter uncocked because the spring could lose its flexibility. Another thing is keeping your dark slide out or making sure that you're kind of pulling it out <laughs> occasionally also if you don't wanna lose it.
0: Yeah, these would be for the dark slides for like a Mamiya or a Hasselblad, not necessarily the dark slides in the four x five holders. I've never seen people do that with those. No, like I guess... think it's
1: more about the foam. It loses yeah. its flexibility. If you take apart uh, a
0: mm-hmm. film back, you'll notice that there is a, like a spring-loaded piece of metal with some felt on it. And that that your dark slide slides past so it's a light trap it just keeps the light from getting in there if the dark slide is in there for, for long enough and we're talking decades here uh the spring will lose springiness and the felt will be matted down and so you can fix and i just did one of mine you take it apart and you kind of bend the spring back into springiness and you kind of comb the felt up so that it's feltier and everything's good <laughs> But I guess, I mean, I guess keeping the dark slide out, honestly, I don't know. Starting the camera without the dark slide, to me, just means you have to buy a new dark slide.
1: (laughs) Well, okay, so with the RB, you can slide the dark slide on the side of the camera. You can. There's a slot
0: right there. But what about, like, the Hasselblad?
1: I have a little tie on it, so I could just like hook it to a camera strap. And also, the Hasselblad that you have, I got from a guy, and he's like, oh, you know, I left the dark slide in, so I don't know how the how the seals are going to be the first time I shot with it I got a bunch of great pictures but I noticed it was like this weird black mark on some of my photos and I had no idea what it was because this was like years ago right um it ended up being the little felt and it was just like falling apart and (laughs) corroded so I I had to take apart my Hasselblad and fix that so it wouldn't do it again it was actually super simple yeah All this stuff is
0: great, but if you can avoid it at all, just don't store your cameras. Use them. If you're storing cameras, you're not using your cameras and you're keeping them for... Why are you keeping them? Use them. (laughs) The only way they're going to keep being useful and and usable is if you use them. The wear and tear that happens on cameras is nothing compared to the corrosion and just the the gunk that will just settle in your camera by not use.
1: Yeah, and if you are thinking of getting rid of them, uh, send them my way or sell them or give them away and trade or even trade for film.
0: Yeah, I like trading cameras for film.
1: That sounds awesome.
0: Yeah. Allowing your cameras to just sit around ensures that they'll stop working much sooner than they'd stop if someone was shooting with them. I mean, obviously, depends on the person shooting with them. I'm pretty rough on cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Don't loan me your Hasselblad. <laughs>
1: But if you absolutely insist upon storing cameras, make sure you store them in a cooler, dry place. Not like cool, like hipster cool, but like actual, the temperature of in, in the room is cool. So for instance... Not in the trunk of your car or on the dash of your car uh, or in a garage where like the changes in temperature and humidity are like just way too drastic. Um, That will promote growth of fungus and you will not want that in your lenses or in your camera. I would say a closet in your home, but if you don't live in the desert or in a dry climate, I would recommend throwing one of those little silica gel packs, the free candy that you get when you like buy shoes. You stole Um,
0: my joke.
1: You (laughs) son of a bitch. (laughs) Did I steal it? uh, Oh my god. That was my joke. (laughs) I mean, hey, you know what? (laughs) Finders keepers. (laughs) No, you didn't find it. It wasn't lost. Oh my god.
0: So yeah, anyway, moving on. You
1: probably know more about this because you live in a you live in Seattle. <laughs> I
0: do, and it's uh, it's very. You know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say it. It's very moist here.
1: Ew!
2: It's
0: moist here. <laughs> Seattle is a very moist place, I don't and like so these. you need those little silica packets, those little packages of candy that you get for free with when you buy shoes. You need those to suck up moisture because there's a lot of moisture in the closet. Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's so much moisture in the closet that sometimes mold will form. Sometimes you'll even see like moisture dripping down the sides of the walls and you don't want moisture, that much moisture getting on your cameras.
1: You're absolutely evil. (laughs) You're
0: absolutely evil. You don't want dry rot because that's bad. You know, deserts are are a good place for dry rot, but you know, places where there's a lot of moisture in the air or you have to worry about moisture collecting on your cameras and that's really bad. So if you're storing the camera and you're not going to use it, I would take out the batteries and that goes for like with light meters and flashes too, because again, moisture, moisture can get into those things and it can cause corrosion. How to store lenses is like this weird, controversial thing that if you go on to (laughs) message boards, people are fighting about this. And it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. So as far as lenses go, some photographers tell us to store them upright and it prevents any possible lubricant from dripping onto the aperture blades. Others tell us to store them face down so dust won't settle on the face lens.
1: Yeah, so with telescope lenses, which are not camera lenses, they tell you to face them down for that reason so I don't I don't really know how about sideways
0: best of (laughs) both worlds
1: when it comes to apertures we've heard that it is best to leave them wide open because then the spring will be under less tension but we've also heard to leave the aperture closed for the same reason And still another says that the spring is under constant tension, no matter which aperture you set it to. If this matters at all, it might
0: only matter when the lens is attached to a camera.
1: So maybe just take the lens off the camera and do your best and obviously cap both sides.
0: So store your lenses sideways (laughs) in water.
1: We're professionals, obviously. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: You know, I'm just I'm against storage. Stop storing your shit. And use it or get rid of it. Well,
1: you know, some people have kids, you know, rambunctious kids or animals and things can get knocked down. Did you say rambunctious
0: kids are animals? <laughs>
1: no, or animals.
0: Okay. God, you're dehumanizing children now.
1: <laughs> so it is safer to have them put away so they don't get broken or messed up or it falls or whatever. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why. But I did want to mention one thing that I really, really like, and they are wraps.
0: Ooh, I like a a good, like, tomato basil wrap (laughs) around, like, some mung bean sprouts and hummus.
1: No, no. These are just, like, cozy little blankets for your lenses and cameras. (laughs) And they have Velcro on the side so you can, like, add more wraps and you Basically just wrap things up in a little burrito and you know those lenses all cozy and then you can stick them in your bag after that So they just give an extra layer of protection. Yeah,
0: I guess you could also do old t-shirts.
1: Yeah, that could work, too
0: I'm sure somebody will have some opinion about that for reasons. We can't use old t-shirts, but <laughs> you know Stop storing your shit another solution. I use this sort of is uh Camera bag, if you've got a, a couple of camera bags. Or for me, personally, I use camera bag inserts. And so the things that I am not storing, but I don't have sitting out, um, I use a camera bag insert, and they're cheaper than camera bags and uglier than camera bags and more useful than camera bags because you can put them in things. I use camera bag inserts for hiking, for example. When I put my cameras in the inserts, put the insert in the bag, and I go hiking. Not now because you can't go hiking now, and I'm going insane because of it. But yeah, camera bags,
1: try them. (laughs) Also, there are hard cases. So storage containers, such as the Pelican case, if you can afford it, is a great way to store a camera. They do say to stay away from the foam ones inside. There are other types where there's like inserts and you can like organize it a little bit differently.
0: On the hard case front, I guess I would suggest small Rubbermaid containers with old t-shirts, stop storing your stuff.
1: And f- and those little candy packets.
0: But if you really want to take a deep-ass dive on this, and I don't, but if you do, we'll provide a link in the show notes by by a guy who is a, clearly in a loving, gentle relationship with camera storage. This guy talks about camera storage like I talk about cake. He loves <laughs> camera storage. So I'll provide a link for that. It's actually pretty helpful. Not as creepy as I'm making it out to sound, but very helpful. <laughs> I think
1: we covered the basics, the very, (laughs) very basics of cleaning and storage of your cameras. I mean, we all want to keep these going. And some of these cameras are just history. If you appreciate the cameras as much as I do, and most film photographers, we we should try to take care of them.
0: Yeah, I have most of my cameras that I use on the regular displayed. I have them out. I don't have them in glass cases or anything, so I do have dust problems. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I don't have dust problems. Uh, If you don't dust, you don't have dust problems. It's weird how that works. (laughs) But... It reminds you that, hey, you've got cameras. Like just over to my right, I've got the RB67 and your waterlogged Hasselblad, and (laughs) they're right there. I go over there and I'll just pick up the the, the RB and just kind of run it through the, the settings every, Mm -hmm. probably every week I do it because I miss shooting it. It's kind of because I'm dreaming about shooting it.
1: And do you do that with the Hasselblad also?
0: Yeah, I dry it off and and go through (sighs) the settings uh, and then dip it back in the water. (laughs) I have all of my cameras out and I like that because one, I like looking at cameras. I'm not really a camera collector, but I've got, you know, maybe a a dozen that I kind of use regularly. And so I like having them out. I like seeing them. I like um, making sure they're all working. So if I want to grab one and go, I don't have to like, I don't have to dig it out. I have to pull it out of storage. Uh, I don't have to really dust it because I'm, I'm always kind of messing with them. And they're just ready to go. So if you're kind of a grab them and growl photographer, maybe leave your cameras displayed if you if you don't have, you know, reasons to not have them displayed.
1: Also, you took my whole shelf thing. I wanted to say some stuff too. Now I have nothing to add. Well, you
0: can. <laughs> you can always jump in. You're always cutting me off. Say something when you do. <laughs> Go ahead, go on. I don't have anything else to say, but I love displaying old cameras around my house. I notice that if I have it out and I can look at it every day, it reminds me. uh, reminds I remind myself to get the fuck out there and shoot with it.
1: (laughs) You are so sassy. So we're. I don't know if I like this, Eric. No, (laughs) I'm I'm sassy right before lunch. Well, I will say I have some shelves in my office. You do, and I have cameras up there. Mm -hmm. Um. Gosh, I don't know if anybody really cares what they are, but I definitely have a few on display. So why don't you say
0: your last line then?
1: What, you, you already read it. And so all
0: of this brings us uh, to film now film isn't something you'd really think about with the whole spring cleaning thing, but maybe you should, obviously you're not going to be cleaning your film, but if you've got so much film that you're digging through a pile or two every time you're heading out to shoot, maybe it's time to get organized, like grab some film and if it doesn't give you joy, give it to me.
1: (laughs) Oh, stop it.
0: I divide up my film by, by chrome, by slide film, color film, and black and white. And I even take it a little bit farther by dividing it up into different film speeds, like slow black and white and fast black and white. And those are all in like cheap freezer bags. There's nothing real fancy pants going on here with my film organization. But if you're at this point where you're dividing up films, you may want to look into getting a film fridge. Now, it doesn't have to be a huge whirlpool with like an ice maker, but something like kind of like a mini dorm fridge, that'll be fine. It's just something to keep the film organized and cold and to maybe put some broccoli in the crisper rather than film. Your broccoli will appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a film fridge and I need to organize it. It is a disaster. I will say I have a little bit of moisture issues in there. Go on. Tell me about your moisture issues. (laughs) Sick! You're a sick man. <laughs> sick man. Um, well, I didn't have things in Ziploc baggies. I just had like if they were in boxes, I just had them in there. And then I noticed that I was getting a little bit of a drip. I ended up just like getting a couple gallon bags and throwing film in them. Yeah. So they're not organized. It's just a, des- <laughs> it's oh, a so you're disaster. Oh, so just just gallon
0: bags with random random film in it. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's a good sound. You know what? Let me, let me show you the sound. Hold on.
0: She is getting up from the desk, going over to the film fridge. She is rustling in the film fridge and removing the bag. And here- Are you ready? Is the sound. Right? So listeners, can you tell which film she is handling by the noise (laughs) that the box and the cassette makes?
1: Was that a flex? (laughs)
0: That was a flex. Yeah, that was definitely. I know you're not asking me for advice, but I'm a white male, so I'm going to give it. I think that if you are rustling through all of your film like that, maybe it's time to get a little organized with it. Maybe put the color film with the color film, put the black and white film with the black and white film.
1: So to end this all out, I will say that film cameras, for the most part, are mechanical. Uh, They don't have fancy sensors or some don't even have any batteries. A lot of film cameras were just made out of solid materials and will probably outlive your stupid Sony mirrorless bullshit. (laughs) So try not to drop them, (laughs) keep them dry, shoot with them when you can and enjoy the feeling of shooting with a piece of analog photography history. (laughs) I kind of googled these little things. thing. do
0: So for years and years now, Vanya and I have been really into zines and that just kind of amplified when the whole photo zine thing came about. We are really into zines. We like reading yours, seeing yours. We like making our own. And while last episode we took a break, we're back with a couple of new zines that we just picked up. Well, in my case, I really kind of dropped the ball on it. But first let's hear from Vanya. Vanya, what, uh, what zine are you reviewing this episode?
1: I have a Wahoo, a zine from David Brocci, a collection of images that he took from the eight years he called Hawaii home. Hmm. It's a half-size <laughs> Are you a snake? <laughs> it's my, my desk is squeaking because I'm laughing and it's making... <laughs> it's making you laugh more. It's, just, it's just a vicious laughing cycle. <laughs> It's a half-size, 54-page, black-and-white, semi-glossy zine. Dave expresses how much he misses living on this wonderful island and plans to make it back someday. When you open up the zine, you are met with an index. Dave has meticulously written down the place where he took the image, the film, and the camera. At first glance, I was immediately impressed by the wide range of cameras, such as the Canonet to the Mamiya 645 or the Kalamat. I also noticed Dave almost exclusively used Ilford film. While others might feel the need to shoot this tropical island in color, Dave shoots it in black and white. I think it was a great choice because I really enjoy the imagery almost better, page after page, showing Hawaii in his own personal way. Most of us have seen all these iconic places, but Dave shows us the interaction of landscapes with people and the absence of color makes... At least me pay more attention to them. One of my favorites is a 4x5 shot he took on the west side. The sky is cloudy and you can see the palm trees swaying from the onshore winds. You see those fancy oceanfront homes for the lucky few. And there on the beach, a couple of young groms with fishing poles hanging out by some spray-painted cinder blocks. This is probably their local spot, and I picture them there by any chance that they get. Sounds like a great way to spend your childhood. If you're interested, you can DM Dave at aloha underscore Dave. Nice. So. Yes. Yes. You didn't get a new zine. You I did not refound the zine.
0: I f- refound a zine. I was going through. I was doing some spring cleaning.
1: Oh. And yeah,
0: after bemoaning the fact that I had no zines to review last episode, I found Finding the Grain by Sam Warner. You may know him on Instagram as The Unrecovering Photo Addict. This is a glossy eight by eight black and white zine of some really lovely shots. Uh, with each shot, he gives a bit of the story behind the photo, as well as the camera, the emulsion, the developer he used to bring it all into life. These are mostly 35 millimeters, though he's got a shot with a Fotak Traveler 120, which is one of those cameras that are sort of legendary. His choice in subjects is as varied as his choice in film and cameras, and I find this to be a really good thing. With this, you've got yourself a really diverse-looking zine. There's street, there's architecture, there's some wildlife, even some macro, there's lots of flowers, which must make Vanya incredibly happy. She's got a thing for men taking photos of flowers.
1: I do. It's adorable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the zine seems to flow from the city to the countryside to the shore, looking back now and then, but always heading in a new direction. If you'd like to pick up a copy, head to his website, which I'll have a link for you in the show notes, or his IG account and drop him a line. It's absolutely worth picking it up. So do yourself a favor and pick it up. I like the the eight by eight size. I've never yeah. done that in a zine. And I'm thinking that that might be that might be a choice that I make for the next one, if there is a uh, the next one.
1: Hello, Hello, Eric and Vanya. Dan here uh, at Daniel Novak Photo.
0: Hey, Dan, thanks for calling. So so we were wondering, like last episode we talked about maybe talking about travel photography, but we weren't really sure about it because maybe it's kind of a mean thing to do right now. What are you thinking? Should we talk about
2: it?
1: Uh, To talk about travel? Sure, absolutely. Bring it on. Nice. Uh, Since we can't travel right now, let's at least dream. And uh, like you said, it's a great time to, you know, put some thoughts
2: together and do some planning. And then when things reopen, uh, have some more specific ideas. So So you're sure about that? Absolutely. Let's talk about travel.
1: Cool. Thanks for calling.
0: Bye-bye. So that's all the podcast we've got for you this time around. But remember, uh, the question we're asking you to call in about is, what was your first film camera? Now, that can mean a lot of different things. No, you know what? It can't. What was your first film camera?
1: It can only mean that one thing. No, it wasn't your Leica. Tell us what you had. It was a Vivitar, wasn't it? It was a Vivitar. <laughs> oh goodness! All right. Well, if you'd like to contact us, we're at All Through a Lens Podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. So allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. We never get emails. Probably better. And we're All Through a Lens on Twitter. Vanya is at Surf Martian and Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers both
0: on Instagram oh and speaking of Instagram make sure to
1: hashtag your stuff
0: all through a lens podcast
1: to be featured
0: we do that sometimes
1: we also do a Spotify playlist for each episode so check those out and see what we're listening to just search all through a lens
0: you can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher Apple Podcasts Google Play and wherever the hell else you find your podcast subscribe and
1: leave us a review the music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of syncopated drummers which you can find at lastregiment.com. and thank you all so much for listening we
0: love you see you in a couple of weeks so Anya? yes do
1: you want to go out and shoot fuck yeah i do let's go oh i love that friends with snacks are the best <laughs>